Welcome to another episode in Profiles and Leadership Interviews. I'm Steve Anderson, your host, and I want to thank VGM for sponsoring this interview. Uh, today we have a great guest, Michelle Colley. Dr. Michelle Colley graduated with her Bachelor of Physiotherapy from the University of Otago in New Zealand in 1994. This was followed by her advanced master's and doctorate at MGH, Boston, and becoming a board-certified orthopedic clinical specialist. In 2003, Michelle acquired Performance Physical Therapy, a practice with less than 20 employees. Today, Michelle serves as the CEO and, perform and Performance has 13 clinics in Rhode Island and Massachusetts and over 160 employees. Michelle serves as the PPS PR and Marketing Committee Chair. Welcome, Michelle. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Steve. So start with, uh, I'm, I'm curious, uh, why leave beautiful New Zealand and come to the United States? Well, How did your journey get here? Um, I, I didn't plan on coming here. This okay. was really a stopover. Okay. So 20-something years ago, there was a mm -hmm. shortage of physical therapists in the United States. Mm -hmm. Recruiters would come to New Zealand and recruit us to come over do the visa paperwork, and the plan was that I came to Rhode Island to a hospital there, basically gave them a one-year commitment, and then I planned to travel on to London, travel the world before heading back to New Zealand. Okay. And that was 23 <laughs> so years ago. So you never ago. got past the, so I never, the northeast. Yeah, yeah, I never left Providence, Rhode Island. Okay. Well, that's that's great. So you've had phenomenal growth since you purchased this practice. So uh, how would you describe that winning formula? How do you get from uh, 20 employees to 160 in a fairly short amount of time? It's a good question and it can be complicated or simple. <laughs> um, how did we get there? I think it's a lot to do with the people we have mm -hmm. and constantly striving to provide the opportunities for the people that we had. I think as I took over, when I first took over performance physical therapy, I wanted to have a place that really gave great care, mm -hmm. but also the physical therapist loved being there and working. And I right. wanted to create a culture that a PT didn't feel like they needed to go out and start their own practice. Okay. So right from the start, I think we automatically had a very coaching sort of methodology of leadership, really trying to develop people so they could continue to grow and evolve. But then of course with that I had to create more opportunities for them. Right. So as time went by I would have a clinician saying, okay, I want to have a I want to be a clinic director. Right. So we would go, okay, where shall we do it? And yeah. from there we have evolved. Um, and I think too with the changes in healthcare, the more significant amount of growth has happened in the last three to four years. So that is a combination of doing what we need to do for the changing yeah. healthcare environment, but again, also doing what we need to to create the opportunities for our people to grow and evolve. Okay, and I think I to. heard that you were actually an employee of the practice before you purchased, is that right? I was. I yeah. was an employee and was serving as the clinic director in the practice and the original owner, he'd opened it in 99, um, came to me after when we had about 16 employees and he said, Michelle, I'm planning to sell. I want out of the private practice game. And I, he actually had a private equity firm wanting to come in and purchase at that time. Uh -huh. and they said, but they will only buy it if you will sign a non-compete. And I said, <laughs> well, uh, tell me about the non-compete. Yeah. And he said, well, he said, I'll give you $1,000 to sign a non-compete, which basically says you can't work anywhere for many, many miles, basically, for the rest of your life. Right. And I looked at him and I went home and I was like, $1,000? <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem fair. So I went to him and I said, I'm not going to sign it. That's yeah. it's not worth it. So he said, do you want to buy it? And I said, well, 
sure. And I think the reason I said sure was because I was eight months pregnant, so I was a little crazy. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. And I didn't actually have any money and I had no clue mm. about business. And so it was a seller finance deal and also partly using SBA financing. And we turned the deal around pretty quickly. And I do remember sitting around a table with the attorneys signing away and the attorneys looking at me and being like, we have never done a deal like this with someone who was this pregnant. <laughs> and um, so I, that's when I became the owner. Wow. And uh, so you started out, uh, you had to take some time away, I would assume, uh, soon after that. It was a so, crazy time. Yeah. Um, and you yes. just must have had good staff to, to keep it going for a while. Yeah, it, it was in the day where the practice was doing very, was doing well. Yeah. Um, you know, my husband's self-employed as well. So between the both of us, there was a lot of flexibility. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, I didn't sleep very much for those first few years. That was my first pregnancy, my first child. Oh, it's a gosh. little bit of a blur. Um, but yeah. you do what you have to do. Yeah, well, the private equity firm did their homework. They knew who, who was, was going to keep them from being successful, <laughs> huh? That's great. So uh, when you hire a new professional PT, what is it that you're looking for to join your practice? Uh, we really look for cultural fit. That's the biggest mm -hmm. thing. It really is about the people who fit our culture, the people who are passionate. Sometimes I look for people who are PT geeks, like they want to be advocates, they want to grow, they want to mm -hmm. learn, they want to work really hard. It is, we work hard and mm -hmm. we also have a lot of fun. So it so much is about the cultural fit. We love having students. Um, and we do bring on a lot of students as new hires. Okay. Um, the reason liking it, because it allows us, allows them time to be in our clinic to really figure out if they truly want to be with us. So is that where most of your hires come from um, as a student? I would say uh, a lot come from okay. students. It means we can make they sure know they're, they're a good fit. Into, and they know right? what they're getting yeah. into. Yeah, um, so. so yes, culture <clears throat> is a big part. Obviously we want them to be clinically sound, but we do a lot of a lot of um, mentoring, a lot of professional development. We partner with Evidence in Motion, put a lot through residency. Mm -hmm. So we can always deal with the clinical part, but the culture part is the most so, important. So you talk about culture. How would you describe that culture and how do you grow it and maintain it? Uh, it's definitely a challenge for a growing company. Mm -hmm. And I think we've had to work harder and harder. When you have a company of 20 to 30 people, the culture just, it just happens. It's mm -hmm. sort of simple. And as that company has grown, we've found we've needed to be much more structured in the kinds of events and the kinds of messaging that we do and, and driving the dressing up for Halloween or driving this is what we do in the community and even the atmosphere in the, atmosphere in the clinic. Mm -hmm. So constantly actually pushing those, that culture to ensure it stays similar throughout the different clinics. Each yeah. clinic will have its own individual clinic, just naturally based on the people. But overall, there's a sort of similar culture and similar theme throughout the whole yeah. practice. And so do you oversee the whole organization, I would assume then? So do you spend time in each of those clinics or do you work out of a central office? Or? Um, we recently went into a centralized office for our administrative services, which for uh -huh. physical therapists feels strange. Yeah. You know, February, I'm suddenly going to work for the first time ever and there's no patients there's no, around. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's actually proven to be great because we've all become much more efficient in our positions. Right. Um, you know, I've made lots of mistakes. So I'll go through times of spending too much time in a clinic and which suddenly means people are relying on me for answers rather than their clinic directors. And I'll go for times when I step back. So it, I think it really depends on the needs of the clinic. You know, my goal is to 
I, I say to my staff, my goal is really to get the best out of people and make sure everyone's happy. Yeah. So I treat each clinic a little bit differently depending on the staff there, the leadership there, what their needs are. The thing I've been finding most helpful lately is really scheduling lunches where I go in, I take lunch in, I sit down, have lunch with everyone. And they've all learned now that I'm actually not going with an agenda. I say, I'm not here for anything. I'm just here to say, how's everything going? Yeah. yeah and right. um, So each of the clinics then has a director. And Each then, has a clinic director. Okay, yeah. and then that person manages that staff mm -hmm. basically, and yep. then those directors then report to you, so to speak. Yeah, those we've just regionalized, so each of the clinic mm -hmm. directors has a regional executive. Oh, okay. We've sort of had to flip over recent earlier this year because. So I'm, I'm intrigued by that. So how many? Uh, so you have a regional director, and they have how many directors underneath them? They have each of them have a three. Three to four clinic to directors, four. and do they uh, are they responsible for clinic two or just all of those clinics? They are. They're actually split, and again, this is how our, we've grown or sort uh -huh. of organically. Each regional director, we have four regional directors. Each of them, approximately fifty percent, is dedicated to overseeing their clinic directors, their region. Right. The other fifty percent is actually doing something more on a global scale. So one is more compliance and setting the initiatives and staying up on compliance and setting that agenda okay. company wide. Another Another is um, professional development and clinical standards, another yeah. is outside services. So each of them has their regional part, but then they also have something okay. more globally. So when you're a regional director in your system, then you you would be out of patient care then? Most of the time. Most They'll the time. go in and do some for coverage mm. and mentoring and teaching. They're all board certified clinical specialists. They're all like excellent, well-respected clinicians. Right. So yeah, they'll fill in, but they certainly don't carry a caseload of patients. Yeah. And how do they how do they deal with that? I mean, we've all been in that position. I think not all, but mm -hmm. you and I have, and others, in the sense where you work hard to become a, a good PT. You get your credentials. You get your you know your OCS or whatever it is, mm -hmm. and now you're going to come out of patient care. Sometimes it's hard to give up. It's really hard to give up. Yeah. And some of them do. Um, you know, I, I, my job is to challenge them all the time and ask them questions and some of them will get in the clinic more or less, but it's really about challenging them, there, challenging yeah. them what's the best use of their time and maybe they delegate and get some of their clinic directors to do more, do more of the things that they're working on so it frees them up to do some patient care so that we give them all the autonomy to make sure that they're being successful in their roles and they've got mm -hmm. the opportunity to do a little more patient care if they want to. But we've sort of found over time, and I found this, is I love treating, um, and I really used to pride myself on being a, a decent, good physical therapist. Um, but now I feel like I'm having a much larger effect on so many right. more patients. Yeah, and, and I, I felt that way. I kind of felt like I've had two really great careers. Yeah, yeah exactly. So very differently. So you, you uh, mentioned mentoring. Mm -hmm. So what, what is your, uh, what do you mean by mentoring or what is your approach to mentoring with uh, your staff and the uh, development? Uh, a couple of things, there's sort of definitely probably two different roads for that. One is the very clinical and that would be your newer physical therapist when they come in and they're like, I want to be the best PT and I want to learn this, 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 this. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's pretty straightforward at the end of the day to teach the the um, the basics of how to manipulate or dry needle or which which exercises but mm -hmm. our mentoring we really try and get into the clinical decision making the communication the softer skills um, the how you can 
communicate empathy, those kinds of things. That's one track, but we find that as the clinicians get to a certain level, they start to realize that there's a whole lot more to um, mm -hmm. managing themselves and managing their patients. So we, def we have a leadership track, we have a six month in-house leadership um, program that we've developed that is That's not great. about management it's really about developing yourself your as leadership a leader. skills so and is that taught by people within your company or do you bring people in from outside um, we would like to bring people in from the outside mm -hmm. um, and we'll bring in special guests more because obviously our staff think anyone from the outside is much smarter than any of us <laughs> yeah. and um, so we'll do it for that um, yeah. But a lot of it, we, we set the agenda and we really do most of the teaching myself and, and one of my other regional execs has done a lot of coaching, been certified in coaching. So we can, coaching into helping people be better leaders and the different yeah. components yeah. of that. That's great. I mean, I really commend you for that because my experience has been that there's not a lot of PT companies or PT groups that, that are doing that. I mean, there's a lot of clinical training and there's a lot of emphasis yeah. on that side. but. Um, you know, I believe too that the, you know if if we develop the leadership skills, they become better PTs. They become and, better PTs. Yeah, and it's just it's really something that I personally think is just as important as the clinical side. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. No, I completely agree, and I I wish that we could help our newer graduates understand that earlier on, or even before they graduate, yeah. that learning about how to how to manage yourself and your strengths and how to get the best out of other people and again yeah. it just makes you a better physical therapist or manager uh, whatever road you take. I've heard this a lot of times you know new professionals will say well you know I don't really don't want to be a leader I just want to treat patients and I say no I can't think of a more perfect example right, exactly. of leadership yep. when you're one-on-one -on -one with a patient I mean you have to be a leader to get yep. them to, to work with you and, mm -hmm. and, and improve so mm -hmm. I, it's all about leadership mm -hmm. yeah I agree. So I'm intrigued by, um, could you build this company in New Zealand? I mean, you, you've built this, you have a private practice, you've built this, it's, 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 it's been around, it's got a great reputation, people love working for you. Could you, do, could you re re reproduce it in New Zealand? There's not enough people. Yeah? Yeah. New Zealand's yeah. little. New Zealand, the whole of New Zealand mm -hmm. is like the size, land-wise, land the size of probably California, but we have like three and a half, three, three and a half yeah. million people. Okay, well let's say it's downscale then. Let's yep. say if you, let's say you had three clinics. You have one in Queenstown, you got one in uh, your hometown, yeah. you've got, you know. Queenstown. Oh, you're from yeah, Queenstown. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Great. Um, Could you recreate it? I think so, yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, I think at the end of the day, whatever, as long as you're passionate about something, as long as you put the right people in the right places and you work hard and you're strategic and you communicate it, yeah, you could do it any you can do it anywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's it's interesting. We were talking earlier about lost in translation. So um, I was in Queenstown once with my daughter and my mm -hmm. wife and we went to rent mountain bikes, go yeah. on a little mountain bike trip and the guy at the mountain bike shop, my daughter said cuz she's not an experienced cyclist, and she said, are there a lot of hills? And the guy said, no, just undulating, that's what he said. <laughs> and so we go on this thing and we're up and down, it's like, oh my gosh, you know the hills I know, the down, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> oh my gosh, and so um, uh, we, we said, um, you know, there's a difference in perspective here because uh, that was, we ran into another group and we told him that we were, you know, American tourists, and, and she wasn't really experiencing. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, I've been training for this ride for two years. So um, it was quite the, yeah. quite the deal. So. Well, the nice thing about New Zealand is overall the attitude is that we call ourselves physiotherapists, obviously, yeah. there. 
it is PT, it is physio first. Yeah. You know, you hurt your back, there's a sports injury, you go, you go to your physio. Right, right. Do you ever see that being the norm here? Do I ever see it? Um, one I mean, day, yeah. but I think that I think we, we're getting there. We're getting but, there. It's, uh, but I, I agree with you. I, you know, I live in Seattle, and so mm-hmm. we're close to Canada. And when you go skiing in Canada, that's what you hear Canadians say all the time. Oh, I hurt my knee. I got to go see my physio. Go see my physio. Yeah. yeah, that's the first thing they yeah. say. And I don't think you know most people in the U.S. are there yet. They, no, they no, they're not. The but it's come so a long way. It has come a long way. Yes. Uh, the, the one other thing I have to say about New Zealand is I'm still recovering from that. Um, that uh, van ride on Skipper's Canyon oh. Road. Oh my God! Yeah, that's kind of a scary. Did you bungee jump while you were in there? My daughter did. I did yeah. not. <laughs> it's quite. It's, like, it's one of the most spectacular places it's unbelievable. in the world, though. But the way they drive those vans with these. Oh uh-huh. my gosh! These cliffs, right, two feet off the edge of the road, is like. Oh man. Anyway, you know what are the what are the biggest challenges for you in a private practice today? So when you get up, when you look at your week ahead of you and you're saying, okay, here's what we got to do, what do, you, what do you think are your biggest challenges? People. Yeah? People. Um, there's lots of challenges, obviously, there with reimbursement and contracting and referrals and the kinds of patients. Um, but at the end of the day, I kind of think those are more opportunities and we have to advocate and we mm-hmm. have to do all the right things. Um, the biggest challenges for me are managing, making sure that we have an environment that our clinicians and our administrative staff are all happy and doing the best job. And with a growing company, when you have more and more people, Mm -hmm. um, you know. So you see it as a constant work in progress? It's a constant work in progress. And I constantly make mistakes, so there's this constant having to try and remedy the mistakes I make and learn from them. What's one of your biggest mistakes that you learned from? Biggest mistakes that I learned from? Oh, there's not sure where to start. I mean, I mean, there's the obvious, there's the obvious mistakes, you know, such as putting in people in positions they shouldn't be in, or opening a clinic in the wrong place. Um, but I think over the years, most of my mistakes have come from not truly listening to the people that I'm working with, and having to really now sit down and truly actively listening to people, whether it's a physician or whether it's a patient or whether it's a um, colleague, and really listen, hear what they're saying, hear what they understand, and helping them get to where they want to be with asking questions and ask, yeah. getting to the why. So I know that's kind of a wishy-washy No, it's not at all. In that, fact, I, I think what we talked about this earlier with, with someone else is that you know, it, it, it's such an undervalued or underappreciated uh, skill of leadership mm-hmm. is listening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we hear it once, well, oh, you need to be a good listener or whatever. But to be good at it, you know, it, it takes practice and, 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 and listening. You know, a lot of times we listen just to uh, look for what we can just say so next. Just so we can say something. Yeah. And so to really listen to what someone is really important to them. And, um, and then sometimes uh, uh, the other thing I think that we don't do a very good job of, which to me um, I, I think we should, we should appreciate too, is, is sometimes as the leader just being able to say, I, I don't know. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good thing. Let me think about that or let me do some research and I'll get back to you. We don't always have to you know, come up with the answer when, when questions are asked or whatever. So. It's frustrating because I think a lot of the time we feel like we do have the answers or we feel like we should have the answers. But I think even now, I've, I, I had someone just email me the other day, a good therapist in one of our clinics, 
and emailed me like, oh, I want to meet so I can figure out the next opportunities for me at performance physical therapy. Mm -hmm. And normally I'm like, yes, I'll meet with you, I'll meet with you. But then mm -hmm. I'm like, well, first of all, why aren't you speaking to your clinic director? And second of all, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm, all I'm going to do is sit there and ask you questions right. because I could tell you exactly what I think you should do, but that's not what it is. It's me sitting down and just saying, well, what do you want to do? And, yeah. and why, 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 and how, and See, that's okay. another perfect, a really good point, is I think another really great leadership skill is just to keep asking questions keep asking and keep questions. asking questions. And, uh, you know, it's just like you have kids, right? So it's like kids in the sense that if they can come up with it on their own, it sticks. Mm -hmm. If you tell Completely. them, it's like it's, it's not theirs. Yeah. And so you just have to ask enough questions to where they say, oh, maybe we'll do this. That, I will that's say, a good idea. My leadership does get annoyed with me because they'll ask me a question and I'll always ask them back, well, what do you think? Yeah. And I'll be like, oh, I knew you would I say know, that. I know. Well, I've you had know. people say that too. Don't ask me any more yeah, questions. Don't ask that's, me questions. That's, that's really interesting. So um, if you were starting this private practice today, mm -hmm. what would you do differently? Um, I would have a lot more clarity in my strategic planning, mm -hmm. um, really sitting down from the start and defining truly what the purpose is, the vision, the, um, what my mission and the values. Now we have all those things now, but it's taken many, many years for me to truly understand how they can drive an organization and give clarity in the direction you're going and give clarity in the expectations that you yeah. then have for your staff that you yeah. work with. That's interesting. So do you think growing up in New Zealand, has that been an advantage or disadvantage as far as how you run a business in the United States? Oh, it's actually, a, it, it is an interesting question. I think, mm -hmm. um, it, I think it's been an advantage. Mm -hmm. First of all, I've got an accent and people like listening to people with an accent. <laughs> yeah. Just, no, really, no, that's true. not really the main real, uh, reason it's an advantage. I would say I grew up in a sheep farm yeah. in the middle of nowhere. Um, with, we lived off the farm. My dad was a farmer. Um, he worked really hard. His, he dropped out of school when he was 15. His parents died when he was at 20. He took over the family farm. You know, my mother and my mother married him when she was 20 and had me a few months later. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a very, very, very uh, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And um, I didn't, I mean, I love the outdoors and all of that. I didn't particularly s truly love it that much because I felt like I missed out on certain opportunities, uh -huh. which gave me a drive to get out of it and yeah. go to, you know, no, I am going to be the first person in their family to go to university and do those right, things. Right. But my father taught me a lot of lessons because he did leave school early and he had the family farm. Um, he worked super, super hard and ended up actually becoming a very successful farmer. Ultimately, we moved to a different town. He got into the real estate business, mm. but he really set an example of, hey, if you really work hard at something, you will get to a new place. Um, and from there, when I came to America, I, I didn't plan on staying. When I took over the practice, when I did, obviously I was very pregnant, but I, I felt like I wasn't in my own community, so I didn't have to worry what people thought. I didn't know anyone. So I think 
that got rid of some of my fears that many newer people in business or even women especially have mm -hmm. that they think oh what if I do this what are people gonna think you know I went to school here I had none of that I had nothing to lose as far as a reputation and it also made me um, set up the business early on so that I wasn't doing every single thing because right from the yeah, beginning I knew right. I wanted to spend time in New Zealand so right from the yeah. start I was putting together spreadsheets and looking at the analytics so I could be in New Zealand and see straight away what was going what was going on and I there, you know I talked to other practice owners and that would take them to a certain level before they would start doing that right. but yeah. very early on I was putting the analytics yeah, in. Yeah I was gonna ask you about that because that's got to be hard for parents to to have their daughter move to a different country so far away yeah so you get back uh, fairly often? Um, you know, it's evolved over the years. I mm -hmm. go back approximately every two years at this stage. You know, my kids are at more of those middle school years, so it's yeah. a little harder. But we definitely get back yeah. there two, each two years, and, and I have family that will come over every couple of years. So we, That's good. So yeah. That's good. So as a woman in business, do you feel that the challenges that, that you've had are different than your male counterparts? Or, or you know, what, what's, your, what's your experience been as a woman business owner? Um, I do think the challenges are different. I'm not mm -hmm. going to say they're more challenging or less challenging. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely a, an interesting subject. I, I, I am, do belong to a peer-to-peer -peer group and I am the only woman on it. And I mm -hmm. definitely, I think in the past, tended to do a lot of, a little bit more of the, oh, for women it's harder because of A, B and C and, and a colleague a group of them actually turned around to me about two years ago and said, you know what, get over it, Michelle. Stop thinking yourself of having all these, you know, woe is me, I'm a woman, I have so many more things to deal with. Like, move mm -hmm. on from that and be comfortable with who you are. This isn't about, you know, poor you, you're a woman. And at the time I was quite taken back and it was pretty brave of those men to do that, <laughs> yeah, but they're probably weird. my closest, some of my closest, you know, physical therapy friends now and I appreciate yeah. them for having the courage to do that um, and I think you know part of it it's more the for women it's more their ability to transition into leadership women don't want to raise their hand women feel like they have the imposter syndrome they're, mm. they're they get worried what people think <clears throat> and it's just the nature of who women are but they do need to deal with that. I don't think personally and other people may disagree with this, I don't think this is a problem with men in the society not treating women right. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a lot of the time it is about women actually advocating and working with each other and 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 helping each other be stronger. Women can often aren't as supportive to each other as men do. You always hear about the men's, the old boys club, things like that. Yeah. But it's not the case. That's really about, well, women need to step up to the plate mm -hmm. and they need to gain the confidence and they need to learn to get to know themselves mm -hmm. and deal with those hurdles and be comfortable with who they are and not try to be a man. Just learn how to be comfortable with who you are. And that takes, it takes work, it takes courage, it takes, getting the mentoring or the coaching or the reading or doing mm -hmm. what you have to do to develop and not playing victim to that role of being a woman instead you know holding your yeah. and, and being comfortable with who you and are. I think it's interesting you brought up the imposter syndrome um, I can say from experience that's not just women. No I know and <laughs> I hear it's that like, it's everyone. It's true I mean I, when yep. I first took over my CEO job I mean oh my gosh it's like oh you, you just you think oh what yep. if what if they really know I don't know the mm -hmm. answer to this or whatever so I think that that's pretty common but I, I do think that um, you know we don't see in our profession and mm -hmm. may, probably in society in general as many women in leadership. 
And uh, I know that it's probably uh, sick of always hearing the question why no, no one no, knows no, the I answer, but I think it's it's interesting to talk about because especially we men too need to understand that and why yeah. why do you think that is? Uh, or do you see it changing? Do you see it improving? I do see it changing and evolving. You know, one of the... I'll probably say the wrong things here, but here's the thing is, you know, we have a lot of women that work at performance physical therapy. And, you know, I talk very openly about, you know, have a baby if you want to have a baby. It's when it comes to taking time off, take as much time as you want. If you're, you know, and, and when, you comes, when it comes to returning to work, we'll make it work. Um, and having and saying to the woman you can have it all because often women do want to have it all mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean you have to do it all at the same time so if you want to step back from your leadership position and be home more with your kids for a while do that and that's fine and when you want to come back into a leadership role yeah do that as well I, I, I do think there is part there is a challenge there because women yeah. do and I Again, I didn't really take time off when I had mm -hmm. babies, but that's because I chose. I determined I'd be a better mother if I didn't. But again, that was my. That was choice. a personal choice. It's my yeah. choice, you know. So yeah, you're yeah. making a a mothering choice yeah, based on choice. your personality yeah. and so on. Yeah, no, I think that's really true. And I think it's helping women set up how to get themselves into leadership roles that work for them and their family, and helping society be comfortable with the different different types of yeah. leadership and different types of roles. I was talking to some uh, a woman physician recently who's you know got a, a very busy life as you can imagine mm -hmm. and one of the things she said that she said you know when I'm away from my children I feel less whole and I said I totally get yeah, that yeah. and I'm wondering if men feel differently and she said well what do you think and I, I thought oh gosh here's a question because I don't want to be judged by my of question yeah, yeah. but I'll probably say I, 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 I probably didn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had three young kids. Yeah. I have a wonderful wife. Uh, everything's great. But I think when I was at work, I'm not sure I could relate to that yeah. as much as probably a woman could. Now, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't carry the kids and I'm not their yeah. mother. But, yeah. but you know, it, it, I think we, th those things are real. So I we think should, it's real. Yeah, yeah. So we shouldn't say, well, this is right and this is wrong. It's no, just I different. Agree. I completely agree. And I yeah. think that's right. Yes, when I'm mm. away, I am thinking about thinking about my kids. I was actually with a yeah. colleague last night who was telling the story and she's a woman and she was she was at a conference and it was the first time she'd been away from her two sons and she felt so lonely in her hotel room that she ended up going and sleeping in the on the couch with the other people <laughs> she was on the conference with and they and you know they yeah. see come and sleep in our room because she's like I just feel so lonely yeah. without them and but it was fine it's like you know what that's okay and and you know, men and women, there are differences, yeah, and it's okay. there are differences. That, that reminds me of a funny story. So uh, my son, my middle son, was in college, mm -hmm. and we went down to visit him in, in Southern Cal or in uh, 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 Bay Area, California. And so <clears throat> um, I had to go home early for a meeting. And so my wife called me that night, and she goes, you're going to laugh at me. She goes, but this is the first time I've ever been in a hotel by myself. <gasps> oh. <laughs> you know, it's kinda, it shocked me. But it's it's true. I mean, she always had kids, or she always had a friend, or she always had me, and so it was just interesting that uh, you yeah. know that's an experience that you know you take for granted. You do sometimes. take for granted. Yeah. That's why when I come to these conferences and people laugh as well, I share a room with my other female colleagues, yeah. and yeah. people say, "What? You guys like 21?" And we're yeah. like, "We're yeah. kind of used to you know we you know." That's what you like. I don't want to hang out in a hotel room on my own. So, what's the future for your company? Are you going to? Uh, um, 
you know, do you just keep going strong? Do you just keep growing? Are you comfortable where it's that where it's at? Or are you going to someday say, okay, I've done my thing and I'm going back to New Zealand? Do you know? You know, it could be any of the above. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly feel like there's still a lot of opportunity with our company because we do have many great physical therapists who want to continue to evolve. I originally was 100% owner and I have, am in a transition process where we mm. now have five of, of my colleagues who each have a 5% equity. So we're awesome. looking at different ways to yeah. continue to maintain that integrity of what performance is right. and, and looking at different models um, of what yeah. happens. I mean, I love, I do love our profession and you know, I love my role as a CEO, but that's not, you know, I've got to transition out of that right, right. soon it at some stage. You. It doesn't define me, yeah. but I still would love to, I love the advocacy, being involved with the profession. I love helping other women, especially because I can relate to them. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah that's so. great. So as we wind down here, um, we always ask uh, our interviewees, uh, if you have a pearl of wisdom relating to leadership, what would your pearl of wisdom be for our listeners? you have to be healthy yourself you've got to take care of yourself first and you have to keep learning and keep figuring out how you can keep being a better leader because your job as a leader is really to help other people grow and develop and you have to continue to do that yourself so that you can help other people grow and develop and you'll get a huge amount of satisfaction there's nothing better to me than seeing I've got kids not kids now they're now like you know adult <laughs> men married with kids. multiple kids and <laughs> yeah. and um, you know I still remember them when they were 18 coming yeah. on as students and seeing them turn into leaders in their communities in their life and as professionals is you know it's amazing yeah. and the more I can stand back and just be there to help in any way is yeah, yeah. it's a really well, thank you so much for sharing your, your insights with us. And uh, thank you for you for listening to another uh, episode of Profiles in Leadership. Um, I appreciate VGM Advantage for sponsoring this. And be sure and go on to the VGM Advantage website or my website, orange.coaching website, and check out our whole gallery of video interviews and podcasts. So again, Michelle, thank you so much. Thank it's been you, a real Steve. pleasure. Thank so you. Thank you very much.